This is a presentation. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast. I am your host, Brock Wilbur. I am the editor of the Fourth thing, probably tall. Just tall. Sometimes, if you're just tall, they just let you have things. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, How are you doing this week? I've had a wonderful, wonderful time. First, Abby, the film editor at The Pitch, went to South by Southwest for the whole week. Uh, So every day, I went to her house to do some cat setting. And I owe cat setting because she had one cat, Buster. Buster Keaton, little black cat uh, who has no interest in people she had buster for a while and i bullied her into adopting another cat uh just before pandemic uh so tahani is also there uh little yellow minx um and it is very funny to me to go over there and be like i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna watch some like true crime shows we'll hang out I just want you to know that a person is here. It's fine. I will do my work from here. Tahani just jumps onto my keyboard constantly and then jumps off and looks at me as to, hey, you see that? I was, uh, I was up there on the keyboard. No, I'm not. I'm just like, yes, I'm aware. But also, are you aware that without me, you weren't here? It's fine. It's fine. It's a wonderful time. Uh, this week, uh, Tool also came to town and performed at T-Mobile. Tool is my dad's favorite band. Uh, we used to go see them together all the time. High school, middle school, college. And so now, like, every year past that, whenever they come to KC, we make the arrangements to go see it together. Like, that's what he wants to see. Um, we saw them in 2019. It was a bit of a brutal time, like, uh, getting him into the venue. It is what it is. Like you're there with your dad and like, there's a rush of people and you're like, "Eh, we, come on guys. Like, you know, help out a bit. Um, it'd been a few years since that. And I was like, I don't know what's going to happen from here. Um, and we had a great time. We <laughs> paid for the parking spots right next to T-Mobile, uh, went on up in, uh, had a sit down, and watched the show. Um, the opening act <laughs> was the most boring new metal band of 2006 you ever did see. But they said at the end of their set, like, you can get our t-shirts uh, or um, our, our album or a football. And when they said, you can get a football, I lost my mind. And I went out into the entirety of T-Mobile and walked around being like, I've got to find that goddamn football. I must find the football from the band called the Acid Better or whatever they were. Um, Couldn't find it. And so at some point I was like, they pulled a funny prank on me. Uh, yeah, they obviously had no football. That was a good joke. They really got me with it. 
flash forward to the end of the night on our way out of the venue the last merch stand right by the door they're like this is the only merch stand that has their stuff and we do have the football and i was like oh my god i want to get the football and they had three of the football and each one cost a hundred dollars and i just stood there in like a stunned silence where i was like i i don't know like would it have been better twere this not to exist (laughs) Versus it existing, but being, what did it, like an existential crisis occurred. That's fine. Um, So what happened within the Tool concert is that we got to see a band that 30 years into their career is better than they have ever been. Uh, But also... All of their songs are 10 minutes long. I, I assume that Pink Floyd fans understand this. Uh, so yeah, at the end of the night, uh, two hours of show was 12 songs. So I don't know. Uh, you get what you get. Uh, <laughs> we had a great time. We got out early. It was fine. It was wonderful. Like They're very talented. Uh, they always have an incredible visual show. But what they also have... Uh, is a thing that they don't tell you about, which is that you can't take pictures. If you take pictures, you'll get kicked out of the show. Uh, And I've been to shows before from like Jack White uh, and comedians where they're like, when you get into the venue, you check your phone in. Like it's a coat check on your way out. You'll, You'll get it. It's fine. We just don't want you recording this. It's something in progress, it is whatever, and everyone that shows up has been told about it ahead of time, and they agree to that. Or um, I've been at shows like St. Vincent, uh, who has a whole album about, like, do any of us exist if we are not posting on social media? And, And she started the concerts on that tour by being like, can we just, like, put the fucking phones down? Can we just, like, all, like, take part in a thing for a while, like... I can't stop you, but, like, what if we, like, uh, made a pact here and, like, did this? And it's like, cool, 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 cool. Got to a concert where no one had announced this, and every third seat in a stadium had a little piece of paper taped to it that said, hey, uh, if you take a picture or a video or, or hold your cell phone up at all, you will be ejected from the venue uh, and will not get a reimbursement. And I was looking at that, and I was like, that seems insane. That's also a crazy thing to spring on people last minute. Um, and the show started, and I was like, I, I don't know. I, I'm here as a journalist who is going to later cover this. Uh, I'm going to start taking some photos. And what I failed to notice was that the entire main floor of the venue was flooded with men, men that had a single night vision goggle over one eye. Uh, so, like, not both, just one. So they look like the Borg. If you've seen Star Trek, it, it was just the Borg. The Borg suddenly were on the main floor, and they were looking at people, and if they saw somebody hold their cell phone up for any reason, uh, they would uh, flick a flashlight at that person, And then somebody in a suit, like a men in black, would walk over and say, hey, can I um, talk to you out here for a second? And then that person would never come back. Uh, 
And it is baffling to me <laughs> that a band that has come from the place of like, ah, oh, fuck the man and like structure is whatever, uh, would, would tour in this way where they're like, if you bought a hundred dollar seat ticket, uh, we will kick you out for holding up a cell phone. You know, that way that everyone in the world now interacts with live music. And it's not like you're spoiling a movie. It's not like you're stealing something. There's just people that want to take pictures of a visually exciting concert full of lasers. Um, and so I started taking a lot of pictures uh, just to make them angry and started waving and smiling because I really, really wanted to have a First Amendment argument uh, with somebody and then about the rights of the press. Um, but also, how many concerts do I have left with my dad? And also, we had a pitch photographer in the pit that was uh, given a pass, which today he reached out to let me know, hey, uh, the pass says that it's sponsored by Facebook. So once again so many questions arise from what happened. I'm like, I saw a really great show where a band did a very good time, but also what was that? What was that thing that happened? So I don't know. At the end of the day, it was great. And also a friend who is a comedian from Los Angeles was much higher up in the giant stadium that is T-Mobile and reached out to me the next day to be like, hey, um, I don't know. Were you happening to sit next to a man that looked like your father in a blue button-down shirt? And I'm like, I have no understanding of how you snipered where I was. But like, yes, that's where we were. <laughs> anyway, this is the Streetwise Podcast. That's me unpacking uh, a weird photo police thing that I don't know what to do with. I'm I'm sure people online will yell at me and let me know what it was. Anyway, uh, we have an interview coming up later with our new associate editor at The Pitch. Uh, we have Nick's Music Corner. Uh, but first, we have a story read by Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment. There we are. Uh, called No More Heroes. Uh, it is written by me, and it is about how a local dude uh, has worked to replace Dungeons & Dragons as the baseline of uh, tabletop RPGs. I hope you enjoy. No more heroes. Zweihander and Blackbirds are the dark engines driving future legends. By Brock Wilbur. In 1971, a bunch of dudes got together for a role-playing game. They were ready to commit time and effort toward full immersion in an experience that promised high stakes and high rewards. They began crafting a story. Their characters would be honest, undistilled representations of humanity. They would test the limits of their enemies and the limits of themselves. Yes, in 1971, Gary Gygax released Chainmail, a game that would later blossom into what the world knows as Dungeons & Dragons. But the introduction wasn't about Gygax's creation. That was an explainer of the Stanford Prison Experiment. Why draw the parallel between a tabletop game and an ethical crime in sociology? Because Blackbirds has the energy of both. Grim and Perilous In 2017, Daniel D. Fox of Kansas City published Zweihander Grim and Perilous RPG. 
the any award-winning tabletop role-playing game, RPG, rocked the world of its genre, not just by being an incredibly fun time, but by running on a new game engine. Over the years, I became disenchanted with D&D, Fox says. I wanted a dark mirror to the real world. I'm fascinated by this period of time during the Bosnia-Herzegovina conflict and the violence around that. I wanted the ability to tell stories that can reflect that, and D&D was not the vehicle to deliver it. So I set out to make an RPG. Zweihander is the tale of a nightmarish civilization and the horrific acts that it commits. As a game, it's based on an ethos that mixes darkness with the brutality of mortality. This is not a wacky world for bards and wizards to faff about and inevitably stumble through solutions to their problems. Zweihander's baseline is that existence is unfair, and nothing will bail you out. Combat in Zweihander allows human-level creatures and characters to absorb only two or three hits without receiving an injury that will maim, kill, or permanently injure a character. There are no regeneration or resurrection powers in Zweihander, and only limited healing options. Fate points, which represent a character's fate or destiny, provide a limited number of opportunities to avoid maiming or killing results. Fortune points allow a character to avoid some perilous situations. How do you mechanically take the outcomes of the morally grade choices you have to make? Fox asks. In the traditional gaming situation, orcs attack a town and you need to murder all of them, because otherwise no one is safe. But the characters are rarely ever faced with the moral consequences of that. It never deals with the aftermath. In our game, your character goes into a tug-of-war internally, and it means that your failures are as important as your successes. Dealing with the mess is what sets us apart, because how you respond drives where the world goes next. The Gygax Problem So, here's the thing about Dungeons & Dragons. Gygax's 70s game has evolved and sprawled into a world all its own. By this point, most tabletop RPGs are, on the inside, powered by D&D. The rules for how a tabletop experience functions are often couched within the framework of a specific variation of Gygax's rulebook. That baseline allows creators to craft new worlds, themes, and experiences by grafting their creations onto a functional set of gamic principles. This is an excellent tool for storytellers who just want to tell their stories. Not everyone wants to sit down and do the math required to reinvent the wheel. It also means that a huge monolith in genre of entertainment, RPGs, has a feeling that's too familiar. Beyond the inherent experience limitation this creates, there's also the Gygax problem. The world of D&D has long been deemed by critics to be sexist, racist, and generally problematic. While the game's publisher, Wizards of the Coast, has spent the better part of the last decade trying to diversify and update the game, Adding non-binary pronouns to the character creation does not solve for the rot inherent in the walls. Gygax was what many have deemed something of an asshat, which is tidily summarized in an interview he did with Icon Magazine. Gaming in general is a male thing, said Gygax. Everybody who's tried to design a game to interest a large female audience has failed, and I think that has to do with the different thinking processes of men and women. His perspective on life should not be the lens through which all stories are told, which is what puts the revolution in the Zweihander gears. The game is a local solution to a cosmic problem. Andrews McMeal, a publishing house based in Kansas City, saw the potential in usurping the old guard of tabletop games in this weird, dark little Zweihander package that Fox put together. Rather than simply publishing the game, they set Fox to the task of expanding his grim machinations into a scalable game engine, one that could give voice to a generation that craves something more. Now, Fox leads McMeal's gaming division. Immortal Engines this year, McMeal will release Blackbirds, the first game powered by Zweihander. This imaginative tabletop RPG created by Ryan Vernier using Fox's system promises chaos, horrific creatures, death, and rebirth. Back in September, 
Blackbirds launched on Kickstarter and quickly became the most successful crowdsourced project in Andrews McMeal history. With a retail date now scheduled for August 9, 2022, and a planned event for Gen Con 2022 in Indianapolis, this engine is rumbling around the corner very soon, with its own brand of apocalypse. The game drags its players into a world ravaged by 12 years of war, where the gigantic battle to save the world was fought and lost. Now the lights of civilization are going out. Swells of refugees have taken to the roads, desperate to find homes far from all the suffering. Creatures of long-forgotten folklore once again stalk the countryside. It promises to stalk our imaginations as well as a standalone experience set in a different universe from Zweihander. How could it not when it represents the foundation of a new gaming empire? But Vernier doesn't want you to play it by his rules alone. It's a book of stories and rules, but I'm not here to say that you're doing it wrong, no matter what you do, Vernier says. I don't give a shit how you play your games. You should play your games in a way that's right for you and your table. I'm just giving you my game, and then you can do what you want. It is a time of ill omens and unlikely heroes. There's an excitement to be had in knowing that, however your story plays out, every decision matters, both in this universe and the one that sits on your kitchen table. That the boundaries of your perception are being defined by some guys in Kansas City remaking the world for the better? That's just an added local bonus. And now, it is time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. When Fritch Hutchison released his debut album on Center Cut Records, Wide Wild Acres, in the spring of 2020, we were big fans here at The Pitch. Thanks to a selection of inventive and clever videos, the Kansas City artist's music rapidly hooked us, and we've been eagerly awaiting a follow-up ever since. That release comes in the form of Movie Night, due out April 15th from Manor Records. It's a fun collection of songs, alternately raucous and introspective, and sometimes both at once. We were happy to premiere the first single off the album, Ladder Shake, featuring Bodacious Thang, aka Cheyenne Jolene. It begins like a mountain goat song before soaring like Alabama shakes, complete with a full horn section. I spoke with Hutchison via email about the new album, the single, and how it came to be over at the Pitch's website, so you can check that out over there. Here's Ladder Shake.
interview today is with Steph Caster. Steph was just hired as the associate editor here at The Pitch. Steph has been a lifelong Pitch fan, a punk rock musician, a published poet, a, um, you know, real renaissance woman just across the board. Uh, and so this is a recording of me... Um, Trapping her in my office, hitting record and being like, hey, you're on the show, uh, which is always just a great episode of uh, journalism. I hope you enjoy. Steph, welcome to the Streetwise podcast. Would you introduce yourself to the audience? <laughs> uh, yeah, I am Steph Caster, your assistant editor at The Pitch, uh, local and poet, writer in general. What else do you want to know? What is it you do here now that you're our, our newest member of the team? I think people enjoy meeting the squad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my ultimate goal is to clean up articles that need it, help shape our writers a little bit better. and um, Clean up articles? These articles are flawless. Oh, no, they come in perfect. They come in day. perfect. I, I don't know what you would suggest <laughs> otherwise. I'm fairly certain each and every person listening to this podcast right now has made me aware of at least one typo over the years. So, like, good. Like, I, uh, I'm i not really pulling off that lie in the way I hoped. <laughs> Tell us your life story. Where are you from? <laughs> story. I was born... You're acting like this was a surprise it, thrown your way that you hadn't prepared for. Not a surprise at all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was born in Santa Maria, California. I lived on the Central Coast uh, until I was about 14 and relocated to Baldwin City, Kansas with my mom in 2004 and have been hopping around here ever since trying to figure out why I'm still in the Midwest, but I think it's the people, to be honest. Are you are you trying to flee? I was for a while. Okay. Uh, yeah, but... The past few years, I keep finding new reasons to fall in love with it, and at least in Kansas City. I don't know. I, I like how much of my youth was spent being like, I must leave this place, and how much of my adulthood was spent being like, I must leave the coast. It is not a place for human beings yeah. to exist. So, poetry. How does one get into that? Uh, well, in my case, I was in seventh grade, and... I don't know. It was a it was a required assignment actually from from my teacher. It was a just a quarter long English class, and we had our first poetry unit. And I realized how good rhyming and all that shit made me feel, and I just kind of stuck with it since then. Even though I hardly rhyme these days, rhyming and all that shit is yeah. I like that as a tagline <laughs> for poetry in general. <laughs> um, I would say though, in high school. My junior year was when I really started taking it seriously. My uh, English teacher, Bonnie butil um, was kind of like my Dead Poet Society inspiration. You know, she encouraged me to start a poetry club in our school. It was a very rural school. And um, years later, actually came to see me at the bottleneck for a reading and had a beer with me. So that was, that was pretty awesome. The the beer with the teacher later in life is always one of those that you're like, I did not see this coming or think it would be cool. But uh, <laughs> so now you are you are a published poet, many times over. 
like twice, yes. <laughs> yes, two full books that I am looking at right now on my desk. Um, all right, so you were performing poetry still? Yeah, I have a few events coming up in the next month. Um, one this week at a gay bar, which will be kind of a first uh, for that sort of setting, I guess. Um, I'm excited to see <laughs> how it lands at the Missy Bees. Like yeah. it's. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I've gone to several shows at Missy B's, and I've actually performed there before, but it was music, but I've never seen poetry nor done poetry at Missy B's. Um, so I'm curious to see how the crowd reacts to that kind of thing. We've, we've skipped over your years as, as a rock star musician. Tell me about your music career. Because <laughs> um, all this combines to make the perfect pitch employee. <laughs> I have been playing guitar since I was 11 years old. Joined my first band when I was 14, actually when I moved to Baldwin City, Kansas, of all places. Um, Baldwin City, known for its music scene. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Gosh, I haven't played in a band in about three years, but the time that I was touring, doing all the stuff that trying bands do... um, had some of my most memorable and incredible moments in my life, but it's also, like, the absolute worst shit I've ever had to deal with, so. Yes, that is <laughs> a thousand percent true. I, I got to I come really up in the it. era of, like, when you could just use MySpace to find bands in cities and book a tour that way, but, like, 2006 or so started to be when our wars in the Middle East caused the price of gas to do what it did. And like, we were in Connecticut one night and we were like, I think we do not have enough money, no matter how much we take in to do the next 15 days of this. And then just drove back to Salina, Kansas in one 24 hour swoop. It's like, yeah, gas, gas can be the end of touring. Like there's no way for the mid-level band to overcome that A situation. We're back in. So I remember on my very first tour, I was 16, and my bandmates at the time were 18, and Matt, who you've met, um, and Nick, who is our lead singer, they actually had to sign off to be my legal guardians for a week. Um, we oh, my drove God. to Greeley, Colorado for our first tour date. Um, you know, we were promised a certain amount, and we showed up. The guy that booked the show, he's like, oh, I didn't know you are actually coming. <laughs> So we still played. We opened up for, like, a bunch of, like, scene, metalcore, whatever the thing was at that time. They were screamo bands. Um, And we were, like, this acoustic, like, hybrid, um, very emo, but I don't know. We were not the right fit for that show. Um, And we ended up leaving with, like, only 20 bucks because that's all he could afford to pay us. Great. So from there... uh, (laughs) We 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 left Greeley and managed to make it about two or three more days before we had to just go back home to to Baldwin, <laughs> um, not understanding that gas was a thing at that time. Well, as somebody who's been in ska bands opening for heavy metal nights, yes, I understand. Not everyone always books the right show. Uh, we just got to see Cursive Appleseed Cast on Thursday this week, which was... <laughs> Uh, a fun welcome to the pitch uh, time. How embarrassing was it to watch me cry through cursive? Like, uh, one to ten. <laughs> I didn't know you 
had that in you. Like, I've never seen that side of you before. Um, Wonderful. I think we were all 16 again that <laughs> night. I mean, <laughs> speaking of Matt and Nick, they were both at the show, and, like, I spent all Thursday's set, like, watching with them and just, like, that's the first time since I've been a teenager that I just, I could, like, actually feel that way in the pit. And, like, Matt actually broke his foot that night. Um, <laughs> we thought it was a sprain, but he, it ended up being an actual. So your friend Matt broke his foot. The lead singer of Thursday actually wheeled out <laughs> yeah. because he had broken his foot the night before, which takes a little of the energy out of it. It was just a bad night for feet, for feet people. Like, just, uh, but also a reminder of, we're all getting so old. We're gonna we're we're gonna die so soon. We're turning into mummies. Um, well, that feels like the appropriate note to end this on. What um, what are you excited to do here? I'm excited to be able to be my authentic self as a creative in Kansas City and not have to try to impress you know corporate straight white dudes that are only interested in making money so well you just wrote a review for us of a play where they say pussy too many times to count and before hitting record on this interview you drank a can of tequila seltzer so in the office which is yes welcome (laughs) welcome to what is not corporate culture uh i hope that you enjoy it here where can people find your work online or follow you uh instagram is probably the best place to go. Instagram handle is Steph Caster, S-T-P-H-C-A-S-T-O-R. You can also find me on Bandcamp, I guess. And that was you meeting Steph Caster here on the Streetwise Podcast. My name is Brock Wilbur. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Please tune in to thepitchkc.com each and every day to check out the great journalism we are doing. Uh, If you ever feel like throwing us a couple of bucks, please become a member. Our membership program is becoming something very fascinating and growing constantly. Uh, Get in on that. Uh, Otherwise, be cool to each other, take care of yourselves, pitch in, and we will make it through. Bye-bye-bye-bye-bye. This was a production of the Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.